It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today just returned from her first commercial space flight. She was one of a six-member crew that flew Blue Origin's New Shepard to space and back. And we're going to hear about it today. She also founded Space Kids Global in 2015 with a mission to inspire STEAM education and bring the possibility of space exploration to children. She shares her passion for space with students through speaking engagements at schools, nonprofit youth organizations, science centers, and universities. Please welcome Sharon Hagel. Thank you, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here and share our story with all of you. Well, it's great to have you. How exciting to fly 62 miles above Earth at more than three times the speed of sound. Was it everything you imagined? What was it like to be on a commercial flight to space? Oh, well, I felt so privileged to be able to be in the space program so early on. And it was everything I expected plus more. What happened up there? What were you doing? You know, a lot of it was reflecting about my life, uh, about the opportunity to share this extraordinary flight with the next generation and get them excited about their futures in space exploration and technology. You know, they're going to have the possibility of living off planet. Right. This flight was like an 11 minute flight, right? Is that what it was? Yes, more or less. I think originally uh, 10 minutes and four seconds. There was absolutely no wind that day. So we went up and down. And I think in the history, we landed the closest to the recovery team. Wow. And the rocket actually takes off vertically and then lands vertically and it's reusable, which means that another group can get in. And so they're really getting closer to commercial space flight. Like you didn't have to, uh, you didn't have to drop down in the water in the ocean and get recovered, <laughs> right? No, that was actually very pleasurable. Uh, the landing was a little harder than I expected, but uh, yes, we were dry. And when you were up there traveling in space, you got a glimpse of what Earth looked like from above? Uh, it was spectacular. I, you know, we're still processing the information. It's one of those things that the pictures don't do it justice. Wow. I, I describe it as meeting a black wall uh, mm -hmm. that no stars, no reflection. It was just the most peaceful, serene, emotional trip I've ever taken. Wow. You weren't scared? I was not. And, you know, I really thought I would be. I was preparing myself for some anxiety being human. Sure. But the training with Blue Origin is so thorough and complete I remember when the crew was getting on the capsule at launch day and somebody said, oh, look, we're home because we had trained so intensely about ingress, egress on the seat, making sure that we were harnessed back up when, when we started to return to Earth. So we were good to go. And when you were up there, obviously you were strapped into a seat, but were you able to get out of your seats and just float in the capsule? Absolutely. Once we got max Q and a few seconds later, we had separation. At that point, we were in zero gravity and we were free to, to get out of our seats and float around the cabin. Each of us had a plan of what we wanted to do during those few minutes. We executed that and being told from previous people that had been on the flight to 
go to the window. Don't miss the opportunity to look out. It's okay to do zero gravity, but we've all done that in training with throwing the M&Ms in the water. We all just stayed by the window and looked out at that fantastic view of the earth. Wow. What's it like floating in weightlessness? I think the difference is with zero G, you're only doing it for about 30 seconds. And in the flight itself, you have almost three, three and a half minutes to float around. So so you can do all kinds of things. We had our first kiss in, in space, zero G. You and, and your husband, that is. It, well, yes, I guess I better tell you that I was so thrilled that my husband, Mark, was able to be on this flight with us. And we we have this moment in life to share forever. Sure. You're the first married couple to take a commercial space flight, right? Yes. We did a lot of first with Blue. We were the first married couple, as you mentioned, Um we reached the highest altitude so far. I think it was 351,000 and some change in feet. Wow. And then we we had the longest hold, which was 45 minutes. And the crew itself, we were so nervous that they were going to use that S word and scrub the mission. No, <laughs> but it but it took off, and that what a wonderful thing. What and yeah, as you said, like what a wonderful memory for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Now you had to prepare for this quite a bit. So walk us through the training. What did you and Mark have to go through to, to be prepared? Well, Blue's training is totally different from the training that we've had previously. Previously, we had uh, experienced zero G a couple of times over at Kennedy Space Center. We had trained with NASTAR, which is in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, that's the centrifuge training, and NASA sends their astronauts there to train. And then we had an opportunity to go to Star City, Russia, and train with the Russian cosmonauts in their space training program. So we were pretty well trained at that point. But then again, this is a totally different mission from Virgin Galactic, who is also a suborbital flight. Blue Origins launches from Earth. And so it was a totally different type of training. I think one of the things that surprised us is in the launch itself, as you're launching towards the sky, their capsule starts to rotate and, and tilts like two degrees, which gave you a totally different experience. So that's wild that just a two degree shift could make it such a different flight. I can't even fathom that. Now, have you signed up for other flights or, you know, where, where are you headed next? People have asked us that. And, you know, the next thing on our bucket list is we would like to do a five to seven day orbit, uh, either around the moon or the earth. And we are talking to several people. But like my husband says, I always say, if there's really a Santa, then perhaps we'll be able to do all three. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're going to hope that you can do all three. I was uh, offering a TED talk to middle school and high school students on becoming problem finders, innovators, and entrepreneurs. And I asked how many of them would take a one-way space flight to colonize Mars. And nearly all the hands in the auditorium went up. And when I asked the teachers the same question, <laughs> I get no takers. <laughs> and so I asked the students, when in history did a group of people take a one-way trip somewhere to start a new life? And they correctly answered, well, the pilgrims on the Mayflower to colonize America. So we certainly have precedents for exploring new lands. As nations now look to colonize Mars, for example, and you already mentioned 
the possibility of heading out to Mars. The idea of having your summer home or your retirement home on another planet may not be so far-fetched. So why do you feel commercial space flight is so important? And what do you see as the future of commercial space flight for all of us? Well, I think you hit on it, Nancy. We have to prepare the next generation. And when I started Space Kids Global seven years ago, no one was really focused on the elementary school kids. Everybody was giving scholarships to high school and college and well-deserved. But when I listened to Dr. Michio Kaku say that if you don't have kids hooked in math and science by six and seven, you've lost them. Mm. And that really was the reason I stepped up to focus on this group of kids. That's pretty powerful. In 2015, you founded Space Kids Global to inspire students towards STEM careers. What got you on that path? It was important to inspire the next generation and especially young girls. Uh, we want to bring them hands-on projects so that they get to become a participator, not a spectator. And we're doing this every year with our partners throughout the space industry. Mm. Last summer, we sent 21 science projects to the International Space Station on a SpaceX rocket right here at Kennedy Space Center. We just closed yeah. our national essay competition on why I want to go to space. Zero Gravity was very generous and gave us two seats for the winners that are going to be competing on that. And the kids had to be from eight to 12. And we've received so many amazing essay competitions of explaining what they think their future is going to be. So then the winners will be able to simulate being an astronaut. Correct. With our partnership with Zero G. That's, that's wild. Very exciting. And I'm sure that students everywhere would love to be a part of that. In my work as an educational consultant designing student-driven classrooms, I've had the pleasure of designing STEM and STEAM schools. And I talk about the idea that in STEM, people first think of and see the stuff, the robotics, computers, STEM kits. But that level two, if you will, is engaging students in solving real world problems through the stuff. And that's what you talked about, Sharon, with sending projects up to the International Space Station. And ultimately, in order to inspire students to engage in STEM careers, so it's not just something fun they did in school, we need to build in them the mindset of a scientist, technologist, engineer, mathematician. If you think about space and either becoming an astronaut or working on the ground in a space program, what do you think would be the most important mindsets, the most important qualities for excelling in that career, Sharon? Well, one of the things that I decided to step forward on this mission is that I was reading the educational index uh, internationally, and the U.S. was ranked in 38th in math and 41 in science out of 71 countries. And this really bothered me because technology is changing so quickly. We cannot let these kids be left behind. So it's our goal to inspire them in the STEAM fields, but also help fulfill the 3.5 million job vacancies in STEAM fields predicted by 2025. That's a big gap we have to fill, and it sounds like Space Kids Global is doing their part. Tell us more about the organization, Sharon. I know you can find it online at spacekids.global. How do schools, students, parents, you know, how do people get involved with your organization? Well, you can reach us on the website, uh, spacekids.global. 
I think it's very important that people understand, and especially, especially the children, that they think the only job in the space industry is an astronaut. And there's a whole village behind every launch. And there's space for everyone. We need doctors. We need chefs, designers for spacesuits. Um, I think it's important that they know that you can go into any career and they can do it on space. It's interesting. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dan Tani, who was a former astronaut, retired astronaut. And he pretty much said the same thing, that we need a lot of different careers coming together in the space program. And he talked about the importance of resilience, that we need students who are resilient, people who are resilient getting into the space program. And we talked a lot about, you know, in the old days uh, when, when I was in school, we, we learned our, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, the, the skills that were, for instance, communication and collaboration with others or resilience would be considered the soft skills. And that today in both business and space programs, the soft skills have really become the hard skills. It's what we need. Do you have an opinion on that? Well, I agree with you. And also, I think it's very important that kids understand that whatever they're seeing now, they need in the future to take advantage of the opportunities that pre present themselves. For example, uh, it was such an honor to be able to fly on the new Shepard capsule and rocket. Uh, I say that because I was sitting in a classroom in West Virginia. I was 12 years old in the sixth grade when Alan Shepard was launched into space and became the first American in 1961. And at the time I thought to myself, oh, this is great, but what does it have to do with me? You know, I'm a long way away to Kennedy Space Center. That's what kids are seeing now that the launches are becoming so regular. I don't want them to get lost in this because their futures are gonna be off planet, colonizing Mars, maybe on the orbital reef of Blue Origin. Uh, the future is open. It's wild. And when you think about all of the possibilities, uh, what do you think about the International Space Station and the idea of having this, you know, floating uh, vacation spot? Well, I guess really remote work location. Well, that was set up to be a research lab and also a spring point for if we, if space industry proceeded beyond that. Uh, I think this is going to be the gateway, uh, whether it's Blue Origin that does it, that will be this, everyone will be launched to the reef. And then from there, they'll be able to go to Mars or the moon or other planets. So it all is part of the intricate puzzle. Now, have you and Mark put a down payment on a place in uh, Mars? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> and would you, would you consider having a, a vacation spot on Mars? I, I had a, a child ask me if I was planning to go to Mars, and I hope I have the opportunity, but I may age out. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And I guess the moon isn't quite the same. I think the, the whole uh, draw to Mars is that the atmosphere is similar to Earth. It's, it's probably the, the most likeliest place that we could actually colonize, and it just seems so out of reach on one hand, but then being able to sit and talk with you who just took a space flight, maybe it's not as out of reach as we think. I would do the moon. 
If that were within my grasp, I would love to do that. It's a little closer. Yes. But we're also working with Blue Origins Club of the Future. That's their charity arm mm -hmm. uh, at a campaign called Postcards to Space. And I had, I wanted to share with you, this little three-year-old girl was drawing her postcard and I put it on social media and I said, can you imagine that she's 25 years old and she's going through some of her memorabilia box and she finds this postcard and she goes, oh, I remember writing this. I was living on earth then. How exciting <laughs> is that? That is exciting. You're right. If, if you think about it, you, you know, years ago, down in the days of colonization and post-colonization of America, if you were born in Virginia, you lived in Virginia your whole life. If you were born in Pennsylvania, you lived in Pennsylvania your whole life. And of course now, you know, I've lived in several states throughout my life and it's nothing to think about going from one state to another. And yet a couple of hundred years ago, they probably could not even imagine that. So why not think of the possibilities of space? I think what's happening in space right now is going to be a game changer. If you look at transportation only and what they're doing with these suborbital flights, can you imagine leaving New York and being in London in an hour? So you're saying the space program is going to impact also our travel on Earth? Absolutely. And we'll think about it, you know, freeze-dried foods, uh, Teflon pans, all of that came out of the space program. Yeah, but let me just say that I've had that food in Russia when we trained on the ISS model. It's not good. <laughs> All right, forget the freeze-dried food. It wasn't <laughs> food. It wasn't their best plan, right? There's a reason those astronauts asked for pizza to come up on the cargo ships. Oh, that's funny. So, but you you're saying that you and Mark would actually go for a you know couple of days, a week tour out there in space. Oh, I'd love to do that. Not so much as a tourist, but uh, as someone that could help do research. And no fears about being out there for multiple days. No, that's what I'm looking forward that's to. That's so wonderful. You're fearless, Sharon. You're fearless. I don't know that. My husband, bless his heart, he's the one that takes me out of my comfort zone all the time. And to the date, I have never been disappointed. Oh, Kudos to Mark then. And I actually read that he, as a young boy, dreamt of space. So this was his dream uh, as well as yours. Yes, he's the one that kind of pushed me into that. At first, I wasn't really excited, but then I got the bug. That's cool. It's kind of like, honey, let's go out for dinner on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great anniversary present. Oh, it was an anniversary present. Yes. Well, that's great. That's great. So it so, only took 15 years to get there, though. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about the flight. And I know for any teachers and students who are going to be listening to this podcast, uh, tell them a little bit about what, what was it like? What went through your mind when you were right there ready to lift off? Oh, I was just so excited. I mean, uh, just to have this extraordinary opportunity was um, just life-changing. That's awesome. And then... Tell us a little bit more about when you landed, because you said uh, it was harder than you thought. What do you mean by that? You, were you jolted? Yes, it was a hard landing. I, I could see the earth coming up fast. And so I kind of locked down in my seat. So I was prepared. And then it was just like a hard touchdown. 
And of course, you saw all the dust coming up. But then, then they brought out our little space dog, Saba, and he was there. Blue Origin made him a flight suit. The kids that we've gone in and done our presentation, they all know Saba the space dog. So it was exciting to have him there as well. What fun is that? It was great having him there. And Blue Origin <laughs> made him a flight suit. He got about 10 different outfits. So if you follow us on our website, you'll see Saba in some of his astronaut portraits that were taken like all of us astronauts. And why a space dog? You know, I go into elementary schools and the best way to really relate to kids is to have a dog. That's cool. And what kind of a dog is Saba? Saba is a five pound Pomeranian. Ah, a little, a little space astronaut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And we even have a little cartoon that we just posted on social media about uh, Saba going into space and maybe that'll happen soon. Wow. Sharon, what's next for you? What do you want to do next? I really want to do an orbit around the Earth or the moon. And what's uh, the possibility of that for you? Uh, we're talking. And is it, you don't have to disclose numbers if you don't want, but is it expensive to go on a space flight? How do you put a number on a dream? That's a good way to put it. So uh, mortgage your houses and get your uh, <laughs> tickets. <laughs> and if someone wanted to get on a space flight, what do they do? Uh, whichever company you would like to fly with, just go on their website. I know Virgin Galactic has opened their seating. Blue Origin has opened seating. SpaceX is working on the Starship, which will take about 20 people and do orbits. Mm -hmm. So it's really what flavor you and how you want to ride. And right now, are all of the orbits short? You're going up for 15 minutes, a half an hour, something like that? Uh, the new Glenn is coming online, I think, in 2024. That'll be an orbit flight. It's pretty amazing. And it's great that we've moved from, you know, you always thought of space with NASA, but we now have companies that are out there putting it together so that we can have space flight. Yes. And it's, I don't think it's going to take that long for it to become something that everyone can experience. The vehicles are being built now to accommodate that goal, and hopefully it won't be that long. And when we think of students, uh, for instance, doing exchange programs, how fun if uh, a semester in college or even a, a senior in school could spend time uh, out on flight at a space station, et cetera, as part of their educational experience? Oh, what an experience for someone that right? young. Right. Who knows? Uh, you know, I, I probably won't be around to see all of the fun happening, but it's good to know that those science fiction books that we've read as kids are actually coming true. Well, and that's what we like to do at Space Kids Global. We were bringing the possibility of space to kids everywhere. And how do you do that? What, what are some of the programs that you have? I know you'd mentioned an essay contest, but you engage in speaking engagement. Schools can hire you to come out and talk. How does that work? I really do it because I'm passionate about space. We're looking for corporations that have like-minded projects that we can present to the kids because now that we have their attention, we have to keep them engaged. So we're looking for hands-on projects. So corporations that are also interested in space should be partnering up with Space Kids Global in order to provide more and more experiences for young students. Exactly. This fall, we have an opportunity to have a national satellite naming contest. 
And so that'll be something else that'll be coming up. But we really need more projects. That's just great stuff. We're just very excited at Space Kids Global to make learning fun. Okay, Sharon, let's unwrap the learning. What message do you want to send to students today about being a part of a space program? Dream big, use your imagination, and be curious, and your dreams will come true. And you can see that right here with Sharon and Mark Hagel, who have been the first uh, married couple to kiss in space. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, Sharon. I hope that people will go to spacekids.global, learn more about your organization, and follow your travels because Sharon's on LinkedIn and you can follow her as she travels back and forth to space. And we imagine this uh, might be the first, but won't be the last time. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you, Nancy. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time. <laughs>